0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Vineyard. Hey, we're going to continue a little series we've been working on here for the last few weeks series we're calling Family, Hospital, School, and Army. And these are images that are connected to the church. The founder of the Vineyard many years ago was fond of saying that the church should be a family, a hospital, a school, and an army. And we've, just, we've been walking through these ideas for the past few weeks. And what I wanna do this morning is I wanna to talk to you about uh, the church as a school. And when it comes to uh, the church as a school, really what we mean by that is a church is a place where we can learn, where we can learn what is the kingdom life like and specifically where we can learn how to be like Jesus, both in the heart or in character, but also in deed or in power. So that's what we really want to talk about this morning. The church as a place, the church is a place of learning. But before we maybe get into that, uh, I guess I want to start here. Uh, The church uh, is a school first and foremost, because Jesus is a teacher, uh, Jesus uh, was a teacher. Uh, it's pretty obvious everywhere that Jesus went, uh, he was teaching. Every single place he went, Jesus was always teaching the people who were around him. Uh, maybe you've read the Sermon on the Mount, or maybe you flipped open the Gospel of Luke and you read the Sermon on the Plain. Or maybe in any of the Gospels, you notice that Jesus is oftentimes telling these weird little stories called parables. And how many of you have ever read a story uh, that Jesus told and you thought, wow, I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the parables are not obvious. I just want to say that. Like some of, teach- of Jesus' teaching, it like works the opposite of most of our current teaching. Like he would tell these stories that are not obvious. Uh, Jesus was not just teaching with words, though. Jesus would oftentimes also teach with the things that he did, just by being who he is. Like if you, if you just followed Jesus around and watched him, he's modeling the kingdom life, right? And so there's something about Jesus's methods. Uh, he would communicate with words. He'd tell stories. He asked guys to follow him. And he would say, just watch me, just watch me. And then after a certain period of time, Jesus did the thing that any good teacher did. He would turn to his students and he would say, now what? You do it. Like you do, do what, Jesus? Everything that I've been doing, you do it. And, and here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy. Uh, it actually worked. It actually, it actually flipping worked. Uh, the people that Jesus called to him, they actually became like him. They actually became like him. It's one of my favorite things about the whole story. Uh, Jesus took fishermen and he took Political revolutionaries. I don't know if you're aware of that or not, but Jesus had at least one guy on his on his team who was a political revolutionary who wanted to probably overthrow overthrow the Roman government with with violence. He, Jesus chose a guy like that. Uh, Jesus also took white collar extortionists. <laughs> That'd be Matthew. You know, like you think tax collector, you think well, okay, the IRS. No, it's even worse than that. Like Matthew is the Jew who's working for the Romans and he's not just charging you your Roman tax, but he's probably adding something on top for himself. That's how he became really wealthy. And so this is like Jesus's team. Simple fishermen, political revolutionaries and white collar extortionists. And Jesus takes them, he puts them all together. So you got some left wing guys and some right wing guys and you got some guys who are just like covered in fish guts and salt, right? He takes all these guys and he says, Come and follow me around. And when Jesus asked them to follow him around, uh, he was asking them to be his disciple. And how many of you know what the word disciple means? It means learner or it means student or it means apprentice. These are the these are the great words. It means come and be my apprentice. Come and be my student. And he took these guys. And after three and a half years, can I tell you something? The craziest thing is it actually worked. These fellows who were nothing like Jesus in the beginning became like Jesus in the end. They became like him in the heart, but then also in their ability to demonstrate the kingdom. This is phenomenal stuff. Like remember some of the stories in the gospels. Think about Peter, you know, Uh, Peter, uh, always up front, really bold and brash Peter. Like at the end, when it counted most, Peter is one of the first guys who ran away from Jesus. You know, by the way, it's the same Peter who earlier told Jesus what? I'll never leave you, Jesus. I'll never leave you. And then just a few moments later, Peter leaves Jesus. You know, all of a sudden, when the pressure gets turned up, Peter's like lack of character gets exposed. But then after Jesus is resurrected, who does Jesus go and find first? Peter, that's who he goes and finds. He says, Peter, do you love me? Right? You know the story. And he brings Peter back onto his team. And then a few days later, Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? And then a few days after that, who's the first person up preaching to the very people who crucified Jesus? It's Peter. Like, you see the change. Peter's, like, faulty character gets built up. And and it's also the same Peter who at one point is like, Jesus, do we really have to forgive people? You know, do we how how much do we have to forgive? And Jesus is like gives him this number this essentially like infinite. Right. That's how much forgiveness. And then you go and you read in the epistles at the back of the Bible. You read first and second Peter and you see you see this person who's changed. Right. And how did he get changed? He changed because he became an apprentice of Jesus. That's how he changed. Uh, James and John, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Jesus is like, hey, why don't you guys go get something for me? And, and, uh, and the, the Samaritans are like, well, we don't really want you coming over to us. And James and John come back to Jesus and they say to Jesus, Jesus, would you like us to call fire down on them and have them consumed? Do you guys remember this? And, G- and Jesus is like, you guys need to get behind me. You don't even know what spirit you're of. Like, you, like what, do you, what is happening here? and And these are the very same people who who at one moment want to call down fire on their enemies, right? But then later in their life, these are the same people who 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 become completely different people, like in their heart and in their character they get they get changed, like like read first, second and third, John, you know. Um, is that the same John? Probably. It's definitely the Johannine community. Absolutely. And what is, what is first John all about? Love. It's about love. And what is the message of first John? You can't say you love God. If you don't love people, you can't even say it. This is the same person who wanted to kill the Samaritans, right? With fire. <laughs> Apparently he thought it would work. I mean, there's a lot of things about that story. There's that really surprising. Yeah uh these are the same men who at the beginning couldn't do any miracles and then in the end they they all end up doing the miracle like Peter and John they're going up to pray at the temple and they see a guy who's lame and the guy's like I need some money and Peter looks right at him and says I have no money I have no money but what I do have I give you freely in the name of Jesus get up and walk and the guy gets up right like who else did that Jesus did that where did they learn that trick You know, (laughs) they learned it from Jesus. Uh, Not only that, but then you get these these other disciples, the later coming ones. Paul, who started out as Saul, right? Uh, Saul wanted to kill Christians. And then he has this encounter with Jesus. Hey, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He meets some other disciples of Jesus. Paul becomes changed in the heart, in the heart. Writes most of the New Testament. And he's writing from this place of heart change but then he's also a person who can demonstrate the kingdom. You remember that one moment when uh, he's preaching too long and the, the, the person falls out the window and breaks their neck and is dead? And what does Paul do? Raises them up. Who else had that trick? Jesus. Like the guys became like Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is a teacher. Because Jesus is a teacher. That's Why? It's in the New Testament. It's everywhere. 269 times the word disciple, apprentice, learner, is in the New Testament. The word Christian is in there three times. Church is a school. Church is supposed to be a school. I want to talk to you about my teachers for a minute. Everybody has teachers, right? I hope you do. Uh, I've had a bunch of teachers still have some teachers. Hopefully I will always have teachers. Um, one of my first teachers, especially when it comes to transformation, was, was at the first place I worked. So the first job I ever had, uh, when I was 14, my dad took me to Roberts Landscaping. He walked me in and he went up to Rob Roberts and he said, Rob, this is my 14-year-old boy. He needs a job. Uh, let him work for you. If he's any good, you can pay him. And if he's, and if he's no good at the end of two weeks, just send him home and don't pay him anything. That's what my dad told him, right? I, and I, I was 14. And not only was I 14, but I was small. I was a small, I was, I'm late bloomer. I'm not big now. I was really small. I was weak. And what I didn't realize is working at Robert's Landscaping, you needed to be strong. Like everything is heavy there. Literally everything is heavy. And, and there's only men who work there. It was just like, it was, it was a crazy work environment. I can tell you the funniest stories ever. But uh, I loved working there. I absolutely loved working there. And Rob Roberts is one of the craziest people I've ever met in my entire life. If you know him, you know what I'm talking about. He's kind of this Zen Buddhist guy. I don't know how to describe him. Super fun. And, but, but Rob quickly saw that I had an aptitude to learn things and I wanted to learn. And so he would just teach me. He, would just, he was always like, Adam, get in my truck, come with me. Adam, get in my truck, come with me. Uh, and we did all kinds of stuff. And I learned all of the plants. And then eventually he realized that I was a little bit artistic and that I cared, and he's like, "Would you like to learn how to design?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I want to learn how to design landscapes." And so I started when I was 14, but by the time I was 18, I was doing probably 80 or 90% of the landscape design. I was running all the crews. I knew he taught me how to do expense reports, and then he taught me how to run these reports to figure out like did we make any money on the job? <laughs> like that's important. And then then he taught me how to like schedule the work for two weeks. And then all of a sudden I look up and I'm like 18 and a half years old. And I realize I think I'm running this company, you know? (laughs) Anyway, I finished finished high school and I finished college and I worked there the whole time. And then Heather and I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. And when I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, I was going to need a job. And I didn't know how to do anything else. I, I literally didn't know how to do anything else, but I was like, well, I'll just, I'll do landscape. I know how to do that and I know how to design. So let's go, you know? And so I applied at a couple landscape architecture places and they asked to see your portfolio and, and like, what, what have you done? So I knew that. So I had a portfolio made and I showed them some designs and stuff. And this guy, his name was Tom Coogan. Tom Coogan said, how did you learn how to do this? And I said, well, my boss taught me. He says, where did you learn? I said, my boss taught me Rob Roberts. He says, it's really interesting. And then he said, and then we started looking at it, uh, the work that we had done. And he says, I, and I remember this. He said, oh, this is really amazing, Adam. He says, you've become like your boss. That stuck in me. I was like, oh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Anyway, Tom Coogan gave me a job. And, and the difference in the work that we did at Coogan's and Robert's Landscaping was just like unbelievable. Which isn't to say the work that we did at Rob's was not good. It was just, it was another level. Like the first job that I sold at Coogan's Landscape was $250,000 just for just for plants and stuff, right? Like Tom would come to people's houses that are brand new. I have to tell you this story. Tom, I was in the truck with him once. This is so great. I was in the truck with him once. I got a job there and we went to a, a brand new house. It was, a, I mean, we're talking a brand new house in the fanciest part of Charlotte. And, and, and they were asking Tom, well, what do you think we should do in the landscaping? And Tom says to them, what I think you should do is rip the front of your house off. <laughs> And the guy was like, what? This is a brand new house. And Tom's like, yeah, I know. It's horrible. (laughs) And the guy was like, are you kidding me? And in 30 minutes, Tom sold him. We ripped the front of their house off. We built an entire new entryway. We ripped up their driveway that had just been done. And we redid everything. And it was $900,000. And I thought, I have lots to learn, right? (laughs) But I worked with Tom. I worked with Tom. And when I worked with Tom, I learned a whole new set of skills in terms of like being artistic and being creative. And he said, Adam, look, the kind of jobs that we do, he says, money is not the thing that these people care about. What they care about is, are you creative and when can we do it? And he goes, don't be afraid to press into creativity and what seems crazy because this is what we do, right? And I learned something else from him. And there was a landscape architect there named Dave. And Dave knew how to like draw better than me. And he would teach me, right? Like picked up all these little things. My first teacher was one of my bosses. I became like those guys in a way. Um, My second teacher, there's a lot of overlap here. Um, My second teacher, my second teacher was Ray Hollenbach. I learned how to preach and read the Bible from Ray. High five, Ray. I learned. Ray taught me how to handle the scriptures. Can I tell you something? Everyone needs a person to teach them how to handle the scriptures. And, and not someone who's on YouTube or on a podcast, no matter how good you think they are. You need someone close to your life who can teach you how to handle the scriptures. Um, uh, over and over again, this is what I heard from Ray. Don't say what you want to say. Look at what the text says. Over and over and over. When it comes to preaching, that's what I heard. And when it comes to like handling the scriptures, over and over I heard, don't say what you want to say. Say what the text says. And over and over about preaching specifically, uh, the thing I heard from Ray more than any other thing is, don't worry, it's already in you. Now, I don't know... Uh, This is a weird thing about preaching. Uh, One of the weird things about preaching is it's weird. (laughs) And here's the other weird thing about preaching it's easy to preach to a room full of people once, it is hard to preach to the same people every single week because they learn your tricks. And there's an anxiety. I don't know how to describe this to you. Only pastors or people who speak regularly will learn this or even know what I'm talking about here. But there is an anxiety that comes with preaching uh, um, regularly every Sunday to the same group of people. Um, When I first started preaching, I I I would step off the stage or whatever at church and the service would be over. And immediately the anxiety of next week would come on me. Like it just it just it's there. It's like, oh, man, I got I I don't know what I'm what are we doing? I don't know. You know, I mean, it was just anxiety. And my, the first few years that I that I was preaching here, I'm sorry for, if you were here. <laughs> but but the thing the thing that Ray told me a million times is don't worry, it's already in you. And what he was teaching me is the confidence that the spirit is actually in me and is at work. And that if he's called me to this work, that he will help me. That's the thing my teacher taught me, that I didn't have to like, I didn't have to do this. I could like let it go because it's already here. And, and here's the weird part. After two years, I started to believe it. I started to believe it. But Ray, raise my, Ray's one of my teachers. He's still one of my teachers. Um, third teacher i'll tell you about uh, my third teacher is my mom uh, my mom's ma- an amazing cook my favorite food in the world is the food that she makes shout out to mom high five <laughs> ask my kids and isn't it true mimi's got like they're clapping <laughs> like when mimi invites us over for sunday lunch the kids are like dad we're going to mimi you know yeah uh uh, a few years ago, I, I, I started to learn a few things that mom makes, you know? Uh, how many of you know that your family maybe has some recipes or some thi- There's Every family has their thing they take to the potluck. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And you don't take your worst thing, right? You take your best thing. And and it, this occurred to me a few years ago. Uh, there's In my family, it's just, I have one sister. It's uh, me and Amanda. And it occurred to me, the other, I'm like 43, you know? And I had this thought a few years ago, you know, if none of us learns how to cook the things that mom knows, when mom's gone, it's over. <laughs> like there, there's a, and here's what I, there's like a family, and by the way, there's a family story in these, these dishes there's not just food. It's not just something that tastes good, but it's like your family heritage is in there somewhere. And so you should learn it. Right. You know? And, and so I went to mom and I, the thing that started this off for me was mom makes these little, maybe it, it'd probably be nothing to most people, but I think they're incredible. Mom makes these little cornbread stuffing balls at Thanksgiving that are ridiculous, you know? And when I meet people from the North who are like, yeah, we eat stuffing that's like spread out in the, I'm like, get that garbage out of here. The, you know, I want the cornbread stuffing balls that my mom makes. And I realized most people don't even really know. Like, You gotta kind of got to be from the South to even know what that is. And it, it, I was like, I got to learn how to do this. And so Amanda and I went over and we were like, Mom, teach us how to do this. She's like, well, and classic mom, she's like, well, you just get a green bowl and you, know, you just do this. I'm like, no, green bowl, like how much? She's like, well, I don't know. And mom's just like doing things, right? And I'm like, this doesn't work. This literally doesn't work. Anyway, we kept going back and we... Working on it. and Okay, so here's the end of this story. I can make stuffing balls that are kind of like my mom's. It's an approximation. Hers are infinitely better than mine, right? I can fry thin pork chops kind of like my mother. It's an approximation. We're working on it, right? But, th- but this is what it means to be a student or an apprentice. Like y- you learn from the master. Now, one more little tiny story. Uh, there's this guy on YouTube that I'm sort of obsessed with. I, there's, I have a, many guys on YouTube I'm obsessed I don't even like TV anymore. I just like YouTube. <laughs> there's so many good things. Um, shout out to the Spirited Man. Seth knows what I'm talking about. It's the best channel on YouTube. But there's another guy on YouTube. And, and it's this guy. It's this little Mexican guy on YouTube from L.A. And he has an incredible channel. It's called Brian the Bootmaker. Anybody ever watch Brian the Bootmaker? And it's just videos of him, it's, a, it's videos of him making like handmade boots that are the coolest boots. They're like work boots. They're the coolest boots. And they're like 1,200 bucks. And I'm going to have a pair. I'm like, I don't know how, I'm going to have a pair. And I want them made by Brian. I want, but it's so sweet. Brian is probably 28. Uh, his waiting list for a pair of boots is like, I think like two or three years now, Um. And he makes the most amazing boots. Every single thing is done by hand. He cuts out all the leather by hand. He stitches everything by hand. Like there is no, there's no, there's no robot anywhere in the process. And then he will, uh, he will very, very frequently, he will very frequently bring his teacher into the YouTube video with him. And with almost with tears in his eyes, he will thank his teacher for teaching him. He's been an apprentice there, right? Yeah, that's what it means To be a student of Jesus. You you follow him around and you learn his stuff. It's the same with Jesus. Jesus is the teacher and church is the school. And you might be thinking, well, what is the curriculum? Well, it's to be like him in the heart and in action. To learn the character and power of Jesus. Uh, Some people want to learn the power of Jesus. They want to learn the spiritual gifts. And some people want to grow fruits of the spirit. But here at the Vineyard, we want both. We want both disciples. That's it. All right. I've been talking a lot and haven't even read the scriptures. This is illegal. (laughs) Uh, Rachel, can we put up, can we put up Matthew 28? This is like the very, very end of the gospels. Look at, look at some of Jesus's final words to his disciples, to his apprentices. Jesus came and told his students, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make more students of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach, underline, teach these new students to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. By the way, that little promise there of Jesus, that, I, that he'll be with us even to, always, even to the end of the age, the context is uh, there's, there's the presence of Jesus when we do the things that Jesus asks us to do, which is to make disciples, to make G- learners. Like where do we encounter the presence of Jesus? Uh, in, in the teaching, in the giving, uh, in the receiving, but then in, in the making of more disciples. Hope you notice that Jesus' instructions to his disciples is, go and make more apprentices. And specifically, he says, teach, teach with words, teach with plain words, but then also tell some stories and then model it. Give it away. Everything you've received, give it away. Uh, Here's what I want to do for the remaining of the time this morning. I want to say five quick things about learning and being an apprentice of Jesus. Five quick things. If you're a note taker. You can just start by putting the number one on the page somewhere. Number one. Everybody needs a teacher. Jesus says, teach the nations. How many of you know that's everybody? (laughs) He looks at his students and he says, teach the nations, which, by the way, that would have been heck of a word for these guys. Right. Like these these are just like these are just good Jewish boys from Palestine. Right. And Jesus is saying Teach the nations, and they would have been like, "What? Even the Samaritans? Yes. Even the even the Romans? Yes. Even the Romans. Uh, even the Africans? Yes. Even the Africans. Uh, God's plan is no longer going to be held in one little place. Spread it out. Like teach the nations. But part of what I hear in that is teach everybody. And so, if we were to like maybe work that backward, we could say this: Everybody needs a teacher. Everybody needs a teacher. Uh, Peter had a teacher, Paul had a teacher, James and John had a teacher. We all need a teacher. Now catch this. Uh, how many of you in the room know that Michael Jordan had a coach? How many of you know that coaches are just teachers? That's all coaches are. How many of you know that Michael Jordan had a coach? Michael Jordan is probably the best basketball player of all time. And even the best basketball player of all time had a coach. Even the best. Ba- uh, here's the weird thing. This will really. When you think about it, it'll blow your brain. How many of you know that Michael Jordan's coach, Phil Jackson, was not as good at basketball as Michael Jordan was good at basketball? Whoa. (laughs) What does this mean? It means you can learn things from people who are not as good at the particular skill you think you have. There can be other people who can invest in you and can actually grow you in the very thing that you feel equipped in. Right? Even Michael Jordan had a coach. You know, man, that's the thought I've been having all week long. Everybody needs a teacher for the kingdom life. Uh, Number one, we need to submit to Jesus as our teacher, but we'll probably need another teacher or two along the way. Uh, Timothy had Paul. How many of you know that Timothy had Jesus as his teacher? But Timothy also had Paul as his teacher, you know? And it'll be the same for you and I. Like we need people, we need people to help us. And so today, church, if you want to be like Jesus, number one, submit to his teaching. Like, like learn the Sermon on the Mount and and tell yourself, I'm by the time I'm 90, I'm going to get some of this down. Right. Like the Sermon on the Mount. Keep going back to it, because that's the thing. Jesus probably preached that everywhere he went. Do that over and over again. And also do this. Also do this. Submit to Jesus and ask Jesus. Ask the Father that you'd get some other teachers in your life who can help you to learn the character and the power of Jesus, who can show you the ropes. Um, number two, second thing I want to say about learning from Jesus is this: information is not the same thing as transformation. Uh, the fly in the ointment is the idea that knowing something really means anything. It's not who we. It's not what we know. It's who we are. Like like. Lots of people, lots and lots of people can quote scripture and still be a terrible person. How many of you have ever been beat up by somebody who used the Bible on you? <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, so what? So what you can quote John three 16. You're a jerk to your wife. So what you can quote the Bible. You're terrible to your children. So what you can quote the scriptures. Your neighbors hate you. So what? Information is not the same thing it's transformation. It's not what we know, it's who we are. Information is fine, but unless it's applied, it only makes us more proud or puffed up. I think Paul said something about that, didn't he? Knowledge what? Puffs up, but love what? Builds up. Yeah, like we want to learn things, but here at the church, we're not, we're not mostly like just teaching information. We're, we're, we're hopefully making spaces where we can, practice the things we're hearing or learning that's how church is a school the school of the kingdom that jesus is running is not an information school it's a transformation school finish the scripture with me you have heard it said don't murder but i tell you what don't even get angry how many of us know that scripture That's Jesus, by the way. Jesus shows up. Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, don't murder. I'm telling you, don't even get angry. Now, how many of us in the room have any clue what to do with our anger? Like actually. (laughs) Like, Like even a little bit. Have we learned this from Jesus yet? You know, just go through the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Jesus says what? I tell you, don't even have lust in your heart. How many of us have even one clue about what to do with the lust that's in our heart, especially in a pornographic internet age? Like, what do you even do? What do, do you even know? How many of you know that you need Jesus to teach you about that, but you probably need someone else to also come in with Jesus and be the voice of the spirit to you when it comes to pornography and lust and everything else? I, I promise you, you will. I just want to say this, since we're on the topic of pornography and lust, no one will, no one will get over pornography alone. No one. You will have to tell someone and it's okay. And if you need to tell somebody, come tell me. I won't think any less of you. Literally, I will not think any less of you. Come and talk to me. We'll start working on it. It'll probably take a year or two. That's what, that's what we've learned when it comes to these things. But what does it mean? Information is not transformation. We want to lean into transformation Uh, number three this morning number three i just want to say this jesus knows and i don't mean in the santa claus way (laughs) i don't think i don't think i'm I'm not talking about the, the santa claus way but i'm talking about something that dallas willard the philosopher theologian talking about something dallas willard was fond of saying Dallas was always saying that Jesus was brilliant, that Jesus was actually smart. Did you know that Jesus was actually smart? Did you know that Jesus actually knew and actually knows about everything? And not because he just plays his God Omni card either, but because he's brilliant. I just, can, do I have your permission to read some paragraphs to you? If you've never read this book, you should just order it today. It's called the great omission from Dallas Willard. Okay. I want to read maybe several paragraphs to you this morning. This is what Dallas says in a chapter that he has called, who is your teacher? He says this, he says, what happens to Jesus in the crush of the information pushers? Unfortunately, he's usually pushed aside. Many Christians do not even think of him as one with reliable information about their lives. Consequently, They do not become his students. What does he have to teach them? It's very common to find Christians who work hard to master a profession and succeed very well in human estimation, while the content of their studies contains no reference at all to Jesus or his teaching. How could this be? A short while ago, I led a faculty retreat for one of the better Christian colleges in the United States. And in my opening presentation, I told the group that the important question was to consider what Jesus himself would say to them if he were the speaker at their retreat. I indicated my own conviction that he would ask them this one simple question. Why don't you respect me in your various fields of study and expertise? Why don't you recognize me as the master of research and knowledge in your fields? The response of Christian professionals was interesting to observe, to say the least. Some thought that the question was entirely appropriate. Many were unsure exactly of what I was saying and quite a number responded with, are you serious? The idea that Jesus is the master of such fields as algebra, economics, business administration or French literature had simply not crossed any of their minds. And and most had a hard time finding access when presented with this idea. That brings out a profoundly significant fact. In our culture, and among Christians as well, Jesus Christ is automatically disassociated from brilliance or intellectual capacity. Not one in a thousand will spontaneously think of him in conjunction with the words such as well-informed, brilliant, or smart, Far too often he is regarded as hardly conscious. He is taken as a mere icon, a wrath-like semblance of a man living on the margins of real life where you and I must dwell. He is perhaps fit for the role of sacrificial lamb or alienated social critic, but little more. But, we, but can we seriously imagine that Jesus could be Lord if he were not smart? If he were, if he were divine, would he be dumb? Would he be uninformed? Once you stop to think about it, How could he be what Christians take him to be in other respects and not be the best informed and most intelligent person of all? The smartest person who had ever lived, bringing us the best information on the most important subjects. What lies at the heart of the astonishing disregard of Jesus found in the moment to moment existence of multitudes of professing Christians is simple is a simple lack of respect for him. He is, not, he is not seriously taken to be a person of great ability. But how then can we admire him? And what can devotion or worship mean if simple respect is not included in it? Dang, Dallas, why you got to punch so hard? What's Dallas saying? What's Dallas say? Here's what he's saying. Jesus knows. Jesus knows what? Jesus knows what it means to be a good teacher. Jesus knows what it means to be a good economist. Jesus knows what it means to be a good programmer. Jesus knows what it means to be a good banker. Jesus knows what it means to be a good uh, operations manager. Jesus knows, like whatever your job is, whatever you're doing, Jesus has an opinion and he can help you do it better because he's actually smart and he knows. He knows, like Jesus actually knows whatever we do we we should begin to invite Jesus the teacher into it you know like make that your spiritual practice for 30 days like everybody in here has a job begin to say Jesus would you come to my job and would you teach me things that I don't yet know Jesus is the best he actually knows Jesus is an amazing designer Jesus is an amazing mom Jesus is an amazing friend All right. We can do that all day long. Number four. Number four. We never stop learning. Number four. We never stop learning. The student of Jesus thing never stops. Look at the text this morning. Jesus says to the disciples who have been following him around for years, go and teach. These guys have been following him around for years. And he says, now you've learned. Now go and teach. Uh, How many of you have ever learned something, but then had to turn around and teach it and realize, holy crap, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. So when Jesus tells the learners to go and be teachers, he's actually inviting them into deeper learning. Yeah. What does this mean? It means we never stop learning. Like the humility of of being a learner. uh, It's it's always a part of Christian character. Uh, The idea the idea that Christians ever become like haughty experts. It's so foreign to the heart of Jesus over and over again. We're learners deeper levels. God will eventually teach us all about forgiveness. He'll teach us all about forgiveness. And we'll have to forgive a family member or a spouse. If you stay married long enough, you will have to forgive your significant other. And how many of you know that after a while, you figure it out. You're like, okay, my spouse wounded me. But we talk about it. I forgive. We keep loving each other and we move on, right? And then how many of you know when you learn how to forgive your spouse, eventually, eventually you'll have to forgive somebody who like really betrays you, like your next door neighbor or your best friend. And how many of you know that's really different all of a sudden? And sometimes the relationship you have with your spouse, sometimes that forgiveness muscle memory is not the same as the one that's required. And all of a sudden we have to learn again, don't we? Like deeper learning. There's always like deeper learning. We never stop. Even if we're leaning into it for years. Uh, here's something that God's been teaching me over the last five years. I'll try to keep this quick. Here's something God's been teaching me for the last five years. I've, I, only, I only got language. I literally only got language for it like last year. But he's been working this in my life for five years, maybe maybe longer, maybe seven God has been teaching me about the fast and the slow work of God. I literally, I only got that language last year in a conversation with a friend. But but Jesus has been teaching me about the fast and slow work of God. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but like some of what God will do in your life is fast, instantaneous. It's like miraculous. You, like, Like God wants to heal people. He does heal people. I've seen it in the last two weeks. Like, Like you just lay hands, you pray a simple prayer. It seems very insignificant. And like, it's like the fast work of God breaks into the moment and then everything's fine. I can tell you another story this week. I I can't tell the story. This is one of the weird things about being a pastor. You have so many stories that you can't tell here. You have to travel and then you can tell them. And now you can't even tell those because of the stupid internet. But another amazing, like this week, another amazing like prayer intervention, like there, and you can't frame it any other way other than if this is God at work and he just, it's the fast, instantaneous, miraculous, here we go, Holy Spirit work of God changes it all right here, right? But how many of you know he doesn't just work like that? In fact, mostly what he does is the slow work of God. It's like seasons and gestation. You know, there's spring... Uh, which is planting, there's summer, which is growing and cultivation, then there's harvest, and then after harvest, there is winter, and winter is the design of God. And everyone in here will experience winter, and when you experience winter, God is not forsaking you. And if 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 you get the instantaneous, you will also get the slow, and you cannot prefer one over the other. If you do, you will miss at least half of what God is doing in the world. This is just something God's been teaching me for the last like five years. And it's really important, especially at a church like the Vineyard, where we want to pray for people, you know, because a lot of people here think, well, we're charismatics and we just we can just pray things. We can just proclaim things. Uh, And we do. And can I tell you something else? There are some things that will happen in your life that you will not be able to break off with a prayer. There are some things that will not go away and you will not be able to walk around it. You will have to walk through it. You just will. You just will. And, and it doesn't mean that God has forsaken you. This, like, this is some of the stuff that God's been teaching me. Like, what has he been teaching you? We're always learners, always learn. Okay, number five. Everybody's a student and eventually everybody's a teacher. We're all apprentices to Jesus, learning his heart and ways, but we're also being charged to teach others. Uh, everybody here, everyone here who's an apprentice to Jesus The thing that Jesus is also saying to you this morning is this. Please teach someone else. Someone else. Bring someone along. What what have you received from Jesus? It's that very thing that he would like you to pass on to someone else. The The thing that you've received from him, maybe what you've received from God, like the thing that's on the surface is you just got saved. Like you were a wreck. You were like a sinner and God plucked you out. And you're like, oh my gosh. Like hell was all around me and now I feel the love and the kindness of God. And that's what you have. Share it with someone. Just And literally, this is, a, this is what you do. You just tell the story. That's literally all you do. You just tell the story and he does the thing. Or or, or, maybe, or maybe, maybe God has been, uh, maybe God is like in the last few months, maybe God has done something like you've seen some people physically healed. Uh, teach someone else. Don't just tell the story. Teach someone else who's interested in that. Teach them how to pray for the sick without making the sick like a notch on your belt. Uh, teach someone how to pray for the sick and like care for them. Teach somebody else the compassion and 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 the collision of compassion and faith that's been working in your life. Like teach somebody. Like you can pass this stuff along. Maybe maybe you've learned. Maybe you've learned forgiveness. Maybe you've experienced like a deep betrayal in your life and you've gotten over it, and not only have you gotten over it, but you've actually entered into the Jesus way, uh, the thing where Jesus says, uh, pray for your enemies and bless them. Like you've, you've got there, you know? And maybe there's someone else in your life who's experiencing a deep betrayal, and maybe you can go to them and go, you know what, I know what this feels like. I've been there. And it might take you a year before you can pray for blessing for them. But let me, let me tell you what happened to me. Teach people. Like, here's the thing man, Heather and I, we got betrayed once. It rocked our faces. And can I tell you something? We needed help. We needed help in learning how to forgive and move on. And, And praise the Lord, somebody came and was our teacher. Everybody here is a student. Everybody here is a teacher. Good? Good, yeah. All right, all right, all right. I think that's enough. Words. It's enough words. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.